Hi, I'm Philip Anthony Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. And this is episode 109, I think. And today's episode is brought to you by, why not, audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audibletrial.com slash theweekindoubt. Over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, or MP3 player. So I think that basically means you get the free audiobook. And I think it's like a free month of service. Then after that, guess what? You gotta pay. But if you're an audiobook lover, then it's probably worth it. Plus you get the free book for signing up. And if you do go ahead and pull the trigger and sign up for the uh, trial membership, please let me know via Facebook or Twitter. That way I can double check and make sure that uh, Audible is doing right by me. So earlier today I got done recording an interview with a British playwright by the name of Alexander Nye. He's written a play based on the life of Jesus from a secular perspective. But he's asked me to hold off on releasing the uh, interview until after the 1st of June. So I'm going to respect his wishes and do so. So today's episode is kind of a last minute thing. So I don't have any planned topics. I'll probably just peruse the internet and find some news stories to discuss. But before I do that, I'll catch up on the obligatory shoutouts. Here's the most recent crop of Twitter followers. Keith Lowell Jensen, Up to Here, Atheism UK, Bree Lawrence, Secular Alliance, Nate Shan, Godless Smeghead, Son of Manplay. That's actually Alexander's uh, Twitter handle, Son of Manplay. The name of the uh, plays written is, well, Son of Man. Okay, uh, onward. Complete History, Secularjin, Secularjin. And it looks like a picture of a gerbil or a hamster. Machiavelli Medici. James W. Bravos, J.D., Granville E. Smith, Critical Thinker, Atheist Roll Call, Egodrom, Godswill, at Godswill Ministries, I believe. I've heard of Godswill Ministries. I think I follow him on Facebook. Fiona, Gut Proof, and then it goes into William Theseus, who I uh, gave a shout-out to on the last episode. I think Nate Shan, hope I'm pronouncing your last name correctly, also liked the Weekend Out Facebook page, so I'd like to give him a double shout-out. You too can like the Weekend Out Facebook page. You just go to the Weekend Out Facebook page and like it. Um, alright. Since this is kind of an impromptu episode, I'll start with something fun and stupid. Uh, this is news from uh, HuffPost Religion. Woman finds busty Jesus inside garden gnome. Yes, that is what I said. Ridiculous. And uh, the woman actually looks kind of like Lisa Kudrow. But I'll, I'll read a bit from the story. A joke gift of a garden gnome has become the answer to the prayers of a woman in Linsville, Tennessee. Linville, Tennessee. Turns out the gnome has a statue hidden inside it that some observers think looks like Jesus' head on a female torso. That's disturbing. Heather Andrews, 27, says her childhood friend, Jillian Pawsey, always gives her gnomes as a joke. The joke started in junior high when Jillian started watching South Park and enjoyed the episode with underpants gnomes. 
Since then, she gives me gnomes randomly to be funny, Andrews told ABC News. ABC covered this? Uh, recently, Posse gave Andrews three ceramic gnomes and as well as a rug. When Andrews tried to take the gnomes out of the car, one of them fell onto the pavement and broke into several large pieces. When Andrews picked up the pieces, she noticed a figure that... Well, it looks like a typo. She noticed... I think this should be. She noticed a figure inside the gnome. It formed at the time the garden gnome was made and is fused to the top and to the bottom. WSMV TV reports. There's a lot of news people covering this stupid gnome story, including me now. The, uh, the statue's face is of a man with a beard, while the body underneath is a busty woman. Was that creepy how I just said busty woman? Uh, I think the face has really intricate detail and someone spent a lot of time on the face. The anatomy on the body looks feminine to me, but I don't know. I am just biased to it, I guess, Andrews told the station. Andrews won't say for sure if she believes the inner statue is of Jesus, so she has named her gnome fragment Pete. <clears throat> I wonder how many people have named gnome fragments. I wonder how many people have gnome fragments. Probably a lot, given all the uh, tacky garden gnomes out there. I say tacky, but secretly I kind of like them. Andrews and Posse have broken other gnomes to see if there was a similar statue, but so far Pete is the only one with the weird statue inside. She wonders if it's a sign. I don't know how to explain it to people because if I say I saw Jesus in a gnome, they think I'm crazy, Andrews told the Tennessee newspaper. You know, sadly, I don't think people would think she's crazy. There's so many people who are either blind believers or eager to believe. People seeing Jesus in grilled cheese, uh, Mother Mary on oil stains on windows, um, Jesus in the uh, swirly hair and a dog's rare end, or in um, tree bark. That she could probably show that gnome, quote-unquote gnome fragment, to most of her Christian neighbors, and they'd probably say, wow, it does look like Jesus. I don't know how they'd explain the breasts, but pareidolia, as they call it. Uh, well, pareidolia, meaning, you know, seeing uh, image, the tendency to see images in random patterns, etc., um, like seeing faces or animal shapes and clouds. That would explain most of these things, but oddly enough, this actually does look like a statue. It looks like some kind of mishap or some weird idea of a prank that happened at the factory. If you see pictures of it online, the gnome's broken open, and it does indeed look like a female statue with a bearded head on it. Um, I wouldn't take it as having any religious significance. If the Christian God hypothetically was real, would his ideal way of sending you a sign be to depict his son, who is really him, and also the Holy Spirit, with... Um, <clears throat> A well-endowed female body? Probably not. But anyway, that's the first story. I told you it was stupid. story I feel conflicted about, I wasn't even sure if I wanted to cover it, involves the uh, infamous Westboro Baptist Church, you know, a heinous group known for picketing the funerals of dead soldiers and holding up signs that say things like, God hates fags and thank God for dead soldiers, etc., etc., um, I've covered this group so much throughout the history of the podcast. I'm like sick of them. And when Fred Phillips 
when uh, Fred Phelps died, it was kind of like, all right, can I finally kind of put this group to rest? And of course, that's wishful thinking because I think it's uh, Shirley Phelps Roper, his daughter, who has been doing most of the legwork um, over the past years anyway, leading the um, particular protests, etc. But there's a story that Fred Phelps may have had a change of heart towards gays, according to uh, one of his relatives. And if it's true, I, I mean, I guess that's pretty good. It's, it'd be a shame that it took him so long, but at least he came around um, eventually. But at the same time, I'm almost afraid to cover the story because I don't want to soften or whitewash his legacy. I think there's a video here. Let's see. Fred Phelps, the founder of Westboro Baptist Church, passed away earlier this year. But before his death, he was excommunicated from the, from the notorious church for reasons that have until now been a mystery. But a new Facebook post from his grandson, Zachary Phelps Roper, who left the church in February, may reveal a shocking reason why Phelps was kicked out. He, was impl he implied it was his grandfather's support for Equality House, a project of the nonprofit LGBTQ group Planting Peace. That house was painted in rainbow colors, and it's right across the street from the church in Topeka, Kansas. I'm now joined by phone by Fred Phelps' grandson, Zachary Phelps Roper. Zachary, welcome. Hi. <laughs> what, what inspired you, first of all, to post this on Facebook? Why now? Well, it's kind of funny because the thought just crossed my mind yesterday that, you know, that he did come out in support of the Equality House, and for some reason I thought that I should tell the one of those um, who live at the Climbing Peace, one, you know, the, one of the ones, the guys who run that program, uh, his name is Aaron Jackson. I just uh, thought I should tell him because I wasn't sure if I actually had it. And then he told me that he was in shock and that he was, like, in tears <laughs> right. for, like, 30 minutes. <laughs> and he said, you should totally tell the world this, Zach. And I'm like, okay. Well, so and, and, and you did. <laughs> and, and you did tell the world. Let's take a look at the Facebook post that you wrote. Uh, mm -hmm. Fred, Fred W. Phelps, my grandfather, came out in support of the Equality House before he was voted out of Westboro Baptist Church. Specifically, on the day he was excommunicated, he stood outside the front door of the church, but not within anyone's earshot, but a few members of WBC who happened to be in the immediate vicinity. I say, he spoke words to the effect, uh, he spoke words to this effect to the Equality House. You are good people. I, mm -hmm. feel, I feel like he had a change of heart after my grandmother nearly passed away and he felt the pangs of loss. He waited for news of her every day and night while she was in intensive care. I think this triggered a chain reaction whereby he developed great empathy for others, which would explain why he would support Planning Peace's anti-suicide and anti-bullying platforms and their charities across the world. I love my grandfather, and I believe people do change if they are inspired enough. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, Zachary, I love you, man. <laughs> this is a tough one. This is a All right, and uh, just to give credit where credit is due, that HuffPost's live interview was conducted by uh, Mark Lamont Hill. Am I allowed to even play that clip? I don't know, but I'm going to anyway. Ugh, I'm a rebel. Um, yeah, so I don't know what to make of that story. I, I find, it kinda, find it kinda touching or kinda moving, if it's true. Um, I'm not saying that the grandson is lying, but could have the grandson um, have been caught up in some wishful thinking, or maybe he misconstrued 
uh, some of his grandfather's uh, comments towards the end. I, I don't know. If it's true, I mean, that's a great story in a way. And it shows that even um, perhaps people with some of the most rotten and bigoted views possible may be able to open their hearts eventually and, uh, and uh, change the way they see things for the better. So I hope it's a true story. But still, uh, we shouldn't forget the type of bigotry that the guy espoused during his lifetime or that his uh, children and members of his church are still uh, propagating now. And now on to another bigoted Fruit Loop, Phil Robertson. <laughs> yes, I did resort to name-calling. I recorded a two-and-a-half-hour interview today, and I'm tired. <clears throat> so rather than put my big brain to work on all eight, I'll, I'll resort to name-calling for now. <laughs> um, and it looks like Phil Robertson... Uh, okay, here's the title. This is from HuffPost Religion 2. Phil Robertson is a modern-day prophet says Robertson's son. According to Alan Robertson, son of Duck Dynasty star Pat Robertson, Pat Robert, I think they mean Phil Robertson. Or is there a Pat Robertson too? Pat Robertson is the uh, 700 Club guy. His father is a prophet and a culture changer. Yeah, it's got to be a typo. They meant Phil Robertson. Addressing an audience at the Family Research Council's Watchmen on the Wall conference. Watchmen on the Wall. That's like Game of Thrones meets The Watchmen. Um, Robertson spoke about his father's anti-gay remarks in a December GQ interview that landed the family in hot water. Despite the family's show taking a hit, following the controversy, Robertson stood by his father, going so far as to call him a 21st century prophet. And it's funny, there was another story that I just saw uh, in the HuffPost religion about Phil Robertson, and it said... I think it was Radar Online, obtained uh, footage of him giving yet another anti-gay sermon. This one was like 40-something minutes long. Don't worry, I'm not going to play it. Um, but I think they have a quote from him here. Neither the sexually immoral nor the idolaters... Neither the sexually immoral nor the idolaters nor adulterers nor male prostitutes nor homosexual offenders nor thieves nor greedy nor drunkards nor slanderers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then uh, this was kind of funny. Um, it continues. Uh, here's uh, Robertson in his own words during that sermon. What's Jesus coming back for? To bring salvation to those who are waiting for it. Are you waiting on Jesus or are you afraid to see that sky busting? You see him coming? You got two lists. I gave some guy one list, allegedly referring to the GQ interviewer. You say, were they mad at you about that list? They were mad at me, which Radar Online notes in a reference to his short-lived suspension by A&E for his comments. But Robertson didn't stop there. You want the verse? The news media didn't even know it was a verse. They thought I was just mouthing off. Is homosexual behavior a sin? The guy asked me. I said, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor blah, blah, blah. I just read that. Oh, more end times horseshit. Oh, I must be in a rare mood. <laughs> Freely cursing on the podcast. Um, but it's funny. During that interview I recorded earlier, Alexander and I actually briefly touched on the concept of the end times or eschatology and how 
most apocalyptic literature was written to address political injustices going on during the time that um, the texts were being written. For example, the, uh, the book of Revelation is chock full of symbolism that refers to imperial Rome. You know, a seven-headed beast, seven heads for the uh, seven hills of Rome. Um, 666, scholars say, is actually kind of a numeric code. If Because um, ancient Greek, I believe it was. Uh, I think with Hebrew, too, the um, letters or characters can also have a numeric value. And supposedly the uh, numeric value of Nero Caesar, a Roman emperor that was notorious for his treatment of Christians, um, translates to uh, the number 666. So supposedly a thinly veiled reference to Nero Caesar. And then if we look at the Old Testament, the book of Daniel is full of symbolism that referred to uh, oppression by, uh, I believe, the Seleucid Syrian king Antiochus. Um, and also, I believe, in the uh, canonical Gospels, uh, Jesus will refer to how some alive during his own time will not pass before seeing the, uh, you know, the the uh, return of the Son of Man, or however it's um, worded. So people in, in Jesus' time, the Gospel writers, expected Jesus to return in their lifetime. And most of the apocalyptic apocalyptic texts were written referring to the political strife and injustices of uh of the day so phil robertson you keep waiting you keep waiting for the sky to burst open and jesus to come uh with a sword emanating from his mouth or whatever it is or is that one general that ghoulish general not long ago said um he was looking forward to uh, a blood-soaked to a Jesus in a blood-soaked robe to return, and that um, even was far to say that the weapon Jesus would be holding was uh, an AR-15 or something ludicrous like that. You keep indulging your uh, Christian schadenfreude. You keep uh, looking forward to everyone frying in the uh, lake of fire. You keep hoping for Jesus to come bursting out of the clouds. I will bet my bottom dollar it ain't gonna happen. The world will end someday, the human race will end someday, but I don't think the supernatural is gonna have anything to do with it. Um, but with that said, I know this is gonna make for a rather short episode, but I'm gonna call today's episode a wrap. I should have that episode, uh, that interview episode I did with Alexander Nye uh, coming within the next week or two. Um, and even in after editing, I, I'm, I'm, I imagine it's going to be at least a two hour interview for, so for those of you who like their episodes on the long side, it should be up your alley. Um, and we talk about everything from his play to, uh, apocalyptic literature to, um, figurative versus literal belief. We, we talk about a lot of stuff, uh, but as usual, you know, you can, like the Facebook page, you can follow the show on Twitter, you can check out the YouTube channel, you can check out the archives or recent episodes on Podbean. If you want to, you can donate as little as 99 cents to the show. 
uh, to the show's upkeep on Podbean using the PayPal widget. You can also donate to the show by going to uh, patreon.com. I think it's patreon.com slash the week in doubt. And I always feel like a scuzzy televangelist when I ask for donations. But it's just because, you know, I, I love the work I do. I, I want to be able to, at some point, turn this show into my day job so I can stop swinging a hammer or doing uh, freelance design. I'd probably still do art and, and design work, for, you know, um, for myself, for my own enjoyment. But it'd be cool if I could turn this uh, turn this show into a full-time gig. Um so with that being said, as always, thanks for listening and until next time.